five four three two one zero and liftoff. Dispatches, a production of Blur Bank, is an in-depth look at those living artistic lives. Each episode will feature photographs and audio interviews with narrative pioneers who have taken creativity and publishing in their own hands. From artists to authors, photographers to philosophers, Dispatches will reveal the faces and foundations of those who lead the creative way. Hello, everyone. I am recording from Santa Fe, New Mexico today, and uh, I'm with a special guest. I'm with Stafford Squire, who is the vice president of the Santa Fe Photographic Workshops. How are you today? I'm doing well. So vice president, that's a pretty serious, serious title. How, that's, uh, it's impressive. You're a big shot here at the workshops. Yeah, I, I, I describe myself as a petty bureaucrat that I'm really good with spreadsheets, but I do know a thing or two about photography. Okay, good. Because you were, let, let's talk a little bit about your background. And then before, we're going to talk a little about your background, and then I'm going to actually share a story about coming here as a student way back in the day when I worked for Kodak. I wrote a long blog post this morning about photo education for some reason. Maybe it was because I was coming to see you today. Um, and it really made me think about those classes, and I hadn't thought about it in a while, but they were very profound in my career, and, I'm, and they, I still reflect on what I learned in those classes back in the day. So let's talk a little bit about you. How the heck did you end up here? Where, where are your origins? How did you get started in this photography thing? So I've, I've known Reed Callanan, who is the uh, director and founder of the workshops for 20 years. Okay. And years ago, I ran a division of a company called Corbis. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. A little, <laughs> small company called Corbis. Small little company called Corbis. I ran all the imaging for it. And one of the things I was chartered with was um, managing the transition from all, all our, I think we had like 3,500 photographers working with us at the time. Okay. And transitioning all those folks from working with film to digital. Oh, boy. So during that time, I sort of cherry-picked our best photographers and bring them down to Santa Fe. Oh, to interesting. Work with Jerry Cavassi in the lab down here. Oh, yeah, yeah. Jerry. Yeah. And so for about three years, I was down here for three weeks out of the year. So for three years, I was coming down for three weeks just working, and I fell in love with the place. That's to think about that. I didn't know you had that job or that role or that task of getting people. What was the overall feeling of people going from transitioning at that time from film to digital? Was there a reluctance or were people running and saying, yeah, let's do it? You know, it was, there were, there was, I would say that, you know, 75 of the peop, percent of the people were terrified, um, <laughs> you know, and the tipping point is I went to a photo Kina and I went to the Kodak booth. Oh boy. And they weren't showing film anymore. They were showing their early digital camera. And I was like, dude, you got to do something about this. This is, wow. this is real. This is coming. And, Do you remember um, what year that was by I, any chance? I don't remember. Okay. It was in the old timey days. Because I worked for Kodak from 97 to, to 99, and I went to Photokina once for Kodak. So potentially, I don't know. Maybe yeah, we might have been there. Yeah, we could have been yeah, there at the same time. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so I, after that, I came back to Corbis, and I was like, you know, this thing is really accelerating, and we need to get ahead of it for two reasons. One, we saved a ton of money sure. because we were just taking digital submissions in. Um, but also, we just wanted to be ahead of the, the technology adoption curve there. Yeah. And understand how that worked. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, at that point, with your organization that size, if you, if you fell behind, it's almost impossible to catch up because you know that these other folks are going to be going to be heading there. And I think if you look at what's happened in the agency world these days, it's, it's kind of telling. Yeah. And it was interesting about the digital transition. It, and it wasn't just getting people to work uh, photographically digitally, but it was the whole metadata uh, oh, trail, yeah, yeah, too, yeah. because... <laughs> we're basically telling all the photographers that they have to do everything. 
You know, <laughs> and, and that was not a popular message, yeah. right? Because they, have, they were in charge of keywording, um, in charge of some of the other metadata associated with the workflow, and they have to create uh, files that are of the quality that was acceptable to us at the time. So That's a it lot. Was, it was a big thing. Well, and if you think about it, those challenges are still there today. And there's those things really throw off a lot of people still working today, even with the tools that we have. Absolutely. Because people ask me, Blurb a couple of weeks ago said, oh, we should do a film about your workflow. And I was like, no, 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 I don't want to do that. Because I, if I put my workflow out there, it's just going to get killed. It's going to get picked apart because I, it's like almost as specific as your fingerprint. Everybody, even people, if you take a program like Lightroom, the way that people operate within that program are different from person to person. So it's still really tricky. So back in the day, I can imagine of saying, you know, hey, you got to do all of this. Yeah. So I, I viewed it as a, a PR challenge, actually. Okay. And so what I did is I picked our best photographers, um, sort of leaders in the community, and brought them down here and convinced them that the digital workflow was not that difficult. Yeah. Right. And so when people would ask them, you know, what's it like to do it? And like, oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a breeze. And I work with Corbis. So we became the agency that was doing it in an, a kinder, gentler way, which made me happy because I was going up against Getty at the time. And, sure. And uh, it, you know, it, was, it was cool to have yeah. that little fight, that friendly fight with them. So for those of you who don't know, at the time, Corbis and Getty, there was quite a rivalry between those two, two organizations. And I can remember going to Visa pour la Mage in, in Perpignan, France, the festival every year, the photojournalism festival. And there was always the Corbis camp and the Getty camp. And it yeah. was, you know, kind of like, it felt like uh, camp camp, as in like kids camp, you know, rivalries and, and tricks yeah. and everything else. But it was pretty tooth and nail there for, for quite a few years. Yeah, but, but you know, at the end of the day, we'd all go out and drink with each other and of, have fun. Well, right? photographers so, and drinking, <laughs> you know. I mean, come on. Yeah, set it aside. So you came here to Santa Fe and you were here for three, three weeks at a time. You fell in love with the place. Was there any inkling at that time, like, wow, this would be, I would love to be with the workshops at some point? You know, a, a little bit in the back of my head. Uh, another funny story is, you know, years ago, I, I wrote a proposal to Reed to come down and, and run a workshop down here, and he rejected it. And <laughs> <laughs> I was like, dude, man. So what happened was about, about a year and a half ago, I called up Reed just to shoot the breeze. And he said, I'm trying to figure some things out, staff. I'm trying to figure out what we should do in the e-learning space. I'm trying mm -hmm. to figure out where the company's going. And at that time, I was working for a consulting agency called Citizen, which okay. is a lot like Frog. Um, and I said, hey, I've got some cycles free. I'll come down and do a consulting gig with you. So I came down and did a workflow analysis, did a business analysis, you know, helped them with an e-learning strategy. And I thought I was done. And then about two weeks later, Reed said, hey, staff, um, I might need to move to Maine. Um, I'm thinking about changing my role. And... I need someone down here to run the place, and you're first on my list. Do you want to do it? Whoa. And I was like, yeah, I do. I do. Well, going back uh, on a positive note, he rejected your workshop, but he did accept, accept your phone call. So, he, I mean, he, that, that's a good start. Well, he, he, he decided I was okay to run the business, but I'm still not good enough to teach. <laughs> well, what I was going to say is it's an interesting combination to hear the history of, of jobs that you've had. But you're also a photographer as well, yeah. and it's kind yeah. of rare to run into someone who can use both sides of the brain that way. Because when you're telling me about a business analysis, I mean, my, I just glaze over mm -hmm. because I'm, my brain goes, oh, there's probably math involved, right. so I'm just going to check out now. Uh, I can only, barely handle the photography side. So what's the – that's an interesting mix for you. Is the, is the photography just sort of percolating in the background, or are you still getting out from time to time and making pictures? You know, in, in between season, you know, we have these seasons where, you know, things are really intense when we, you know, in class, in season. Sure. So there's no time to work. But now, right now, our season ended, so I'm looking forward to, 
you know, tackling a couple of projects that I've got percolating in the back of my head. Excellent. Yeah. I also think that too, that's currency with students is to walk in and mm-hmm. see, you know, see you making things. Uh, so I want to tell a little story here um, for the listeners because I'm not really sure if I've talked about this a whole lot on my site, and I'm pretty sure I've never spoken about this in an interview, but it directly correlates to, to Santa Fe. So back in the day, 97 to 99, I worked for Kodak, and my boss was a guy named Ara Nujukian, who was awesome, and he's no longer with us, died in a car accident, but Ara was a great guy that was incredible. The only reason I got hired at Kodak was him. No one else wanted me. He threw a fit, literally pounded on a desk, mm-hmm. and they caved in and hired me. And so Ara called me and said, hey, uh, you know, we sponsor the Santa Fe workshops, and they reserve slots for Kodak employees who want to take classes. And Ara was a classic, like, prankster. And so I, my first thought was, yeah, he's totally setting me up. There's no way that they're going to let me go out there, pay me, rent me a car, get me a hotel, and let me take a workshop. So I was, like, playing along, waiting, and then I thought, oh, he's going to let me book the ticket, and then he's going to tell me that it was a joke. Mm-hmm. So he calls back, and he says I, sa- and I said to him, well, you first – and he goes, oh, yeah, I'm already taking any names the class. And I'm like, wow, this is a legitimate thing. So I came to Santa Fe, took a workshop. It was supposed to be with David Allen Harvey. Mm-hmm. And Harvey was working in Cuba at the time. And I want to say that he got access to Castro and hadn't had that before and said I, and canceled and couldn't come. And a guy named Rob Kendrick came in his place. And I took this class. Now, I'd, I already had a degree in photojournalism. And I'd already worked for years as a photographer, every single day, assignments, editorial, commercial, whatever. And I took this workshop kind of, uh, I was probably a little cocky. You know, mm-hmm. I thought like, I already have a, do- I know what I'm doing here. And I got in with Rob and Rob was working for the geographic at the time and doing high level commercial advertising work. And he just like peeled my head backwards. I-, I was so blown away by the impact that he had on me. And I'm still friends with him. I just texted him a couple of days ago. And we, it w- had nothing, these workshops had nothing to do with technical aspects. This was about image making, editing, mm-hmm. sequencing, being able to speak about your work and having other people speak about it in a, in, in not necessarily a positive way, you know, taking that criticism, right. but then also hearing him describe what he liked about my career. Mm-hmm. And I was so blown away. I came back a, the second year and I took another workshop with Chris Rainier. And again, I met a student in that class that basically convinced me to quit Kodak in this class, in over a one-week period, I went from full-time Kodak employee to quitting my job and going back to photography because mm-hmm. she had such an in- influence on me. And I think uh, the reason I'm telling that story is that I'm, I'm 50, and I came up when getting a degree in photography was like a pretty um, standard you know, route to take in terms of being a photographer. And that's changed a lot these days. And I think education is looked at in a very, very different mm-hmm. way now, especially with the advent of YouTube and mm-hmm. being able to go on and sort of figuring things out. But... To me, it's irreplaceable, that kind of education, whether or not you go to a four-year school, but taking a workshop that's immersive with someone who's more skilled than you are, that's allowing you to sort of see your context in photography, not just the quality or, 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 or lack of quality of your work, but wh- who you are, where you fit in. It's so monumentally important to actually, I think, in sustaining a career, because I think today you can get hot, you can learn a technique, you can get hot on Instagram or whatever, and you and you could get hot for a short amount of time, right. and then it wears off and you're left with something or nothing. And I think that's where these educational components are so integral. And Santa Fe's the top. I mean, it's the uh, Maine and Santa Fe are the two premier workshop programs. That's, that's correct. And you know, one of the things we talk a lot about down here is um, we, while we do teach technical aspects of photography. That's kind of a necessary, but it's not a necessary and sufficient condition, right? And what we really focus on is uh, creativity. Mm-hmm. 
And a good buddy of mine, a guy named Chase Jarvis, started oh, yeah. a company called Creative Live. Yep. And I did. I helped him a little bit with some of the preliminary research for that project. And we still talk a lot. And the way I always tease Chase is, yeah, you can learn technique online, but inspiration happens in person. And I honestly believe that at my heart. Yeah. And I see it here every week when you get a group of people here and they're all interacting with the instructor and with each other. Um, inspiration and creativity is a, is a human interaction and it is amplified in spades when you do it in a place like Santa Fe or Maine or Nisa. And I think one thing you learn coming to a place like Santa Fe is when you're, when you're around these instructors, oftentimes during the week, you're able to engage with other instructors too, whether it's at lunch mm -hmm. or at dinner or whatever. And you see their work and you hear them talk and discuss their work. And it gives you a sort of a, a sense of, of context that most of these really transcendent photographers are a lot more than people who press the button. They are so smart and so educated, so well-rounded. And just to give a, a quick story, I went camping I'm not going to use their names, but I went camping with a really famous photographer and a, and a painter, a contemporary art painter who lives here in Santa Fe. And I didn't think anything of it. I didn't think either one of them would ever go camping with us. Mm -hmm. And they, you know, they went camping. And I'm like, this is kind of a novelty. So we're sitting around the campfire at night. And it was um, unsettling in a positive way because I realized right away that painting and photography, even though that's what they did for a living and that they were very, very skilled, was 1% of who they were. Right. And the conversations were so far above my head in terms of referencing things like history and knowledge outside of photography. And I wrote this this morning. All I wanted to do was sit in my tent and read to try to catch up because I realized, wow, I'm sort of – I'm a little bit behind here. I'm not as well-rounded as I, as I thought I was. And coming here, I think when you take a full-week workshop – it's it's easy to it's enough time to where the distractions the phone the the real world that you're living in drop away mm -hmm. and I think that's one of the great things about coming here is that distance. I, I think it is, and uh, you know the, the other observation that you made about the great photographers, we see it here because we have so many people cycling through, and to a person, they whatever type of intelligence they have, they're incredibly smart people, mm -hmm. and they're voracious consumers of culture. And um, I remember when I was in high school, I told my dad that I wanted to go to uh, Brooks Institute of Photography. Oh, yeah. Or I wanted to go to RIT. And my dad was like, so Stafford, you want to be an artist? And I was like, yeah, I really do. And he says, well, you don't want to go to Brooks or you want to go to RIT. You want to go get a liberal arts degree first. So I won't pay for you to go to Brooks or RIT. I'll do that for graduate school if you want to do that. But what I will pay for you is to go to a really good liberal arts college. Because if you want to be an artist, you have to have something to say. Interesting. And you have to, you have to be educated, whether or not it's traditional education, but you have to be a consumer of culture, consumer of, you know, your environment. Otherwise, your pictures will be one-dimensional and meaningless. So there's two, two questions I have. One is in regards to time, and one is in regards to failure. Mm -hmm. So when I took workshops here back in the day, they were only – I don't think there was a Mexico program. Mm -hmm. I don't think it was a Cuba program or Japan and, and some of the other places you are now, which I want to talk about in a minute. But I think everything was a full week. Mm -hmm. But back then, you know, I, I had a cell phone, I think. I had a laptop. All I did was like co internal Kodak stuff. You know, it was, it, was, it was tame compared to what we have today. But there are different offerings now, right? I mean, there's shorter classes, mm -hmm. weekend stuff. Mm -hmm. how, how does that even work now? I, I actually don't know. So we have some classes, which we, we call them intensives. Um, we're 
playing around with switching the language because intensive has kind of a negative connotation. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, we have we have so a lot of the classes which are more um, sort of technique driven. Um, you know, you can come in and take like a intensive on Lightroom, for instance, if you're, you're new to it and you want to understand how to set up your catalog. Um, we just did a intensive using mobile photography. But generally, they're shorter and they're more sort of on the introductory level, okay. sort of to bring you in. Um, the real the real learning happens when you're here for a week yeah. with, with like-minded artists and you've got a community because um, that's where the magic happens when you're, you know, you're working with other people. And people here push each other. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like... Like on Wednesday, the, the, the arc of the week is Monday, people are nervous. Wednesday, people are terrified because they're like, <laughs> I have no idea if I'm going to be successful or not. And then Thursday, they hit their stride. And Friday, they're just they're cooking and then they have to leave. Yeah. You know, so it's this weird arc. But it kind of leaves you wanting more. I mean, I think that there's a post-workshop depression mm-hmm. that, that's kind of natural because mm-hmm. you get here – and it is. There's an intensity to it that um, I think some people – and going through photo school, I always joke about this, but people assume that photography school was about learning technique. And it really had nothing to do with technique. I mean, I think it. we spent maybe a week or so, like this is how to do basic exposures and how to process film. That right. was it. And the rest of the time it was doing projects, but more importantly, it was printing those and putting them in front of your colleagues. Right. And your colleagues for sport would just destroy you. You know, oh, I mean, it, it, yeah, and like it was personal. Tank. Yeah, it was, it was, <laughs> this was way before the, you know, uh, everyone having, having gloves on. This mm-hmm. was like, oh, I'm going to destroy you on a personal level right. and I'm going to destroy your work. And so I always tell that school was about learning how to understand your context and how to uh, take criticism, both positive and negative. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I think is is interesting is that with a lot of younger photographers that I run into, not all of them, obviously, but some, and it's not just younger photographers, it's just people new to photography, is that sometimes there's um, a nervousness about admitting what you don't know. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why when, when I mention education and I can see people get squirrely, yeah, they do. I'm like, look, and, uh, you know, last year I was, uh, we were still living in California and Jeff Dunis came over, mm-hmm. who's the founder of the Palm Springs Festival. And Jeff's a weird weird guy in the sense that he has a unique background no he is i love jeff i absolutely love him he's weird in the sense that he has it he's he's like a master analog printer Mm -hmm. but he's also incredibly digitally savvy plus he has one of the best book collections in the world and he was a publisher so he has a background that's unique i don't run into many people like jeff and i had gone in the dark room and i'd come out and i had what i considered were finished prints. Mm-hmm. So Jeff comes over and he's like, hey, what are you working on? And I go, oh, hey, I just did these in the darkroom, not thinking who I was showing them to. And within two seconds, he looks and goes, um, these are work prints, right? <laughs> and I was like, oh, and I go, uh, well, you know, and I'm trying to backpedal. And he starts talking about printing. Yeah. I'm not kidding. It was 10 or 15 minutes. I stopped him and I go, Jeff, I have no idea what you're talking mm-hmm. about because the techniques and the knowledge were so far beyond anything I knew. Now, I look at that comically. I'm like, oh, my God, I don't know. There's so many things I don't know. I love Norman Mouskopf, who mm-hmm. lives here in town, Kurt Marcus, who lives mm-hmm. right here. You hang out with these guys and you're like, I'm, I'm like, I haven't scratched the surface, right. the knowledge they have. Is that – do you think in some ways does that hold people back from coming to places like Santa Fe? You know – I, I don't know the, the specific answer to that, but what I can tell you is when I when I meet students, you know, on day one, um, I always make a joke about, you know, 
you guys look a little nervous, right? And, and they're like, yeah, we're nervous as hell, right? Because they're nervous about a couple of things. They're nervous about, you know, will the instructor like their work? They're nervous about will their colleagues like their work? They're nervous about um, will they be able to create a wonderful piece for the art show on Friday? You know, everyone's yeah, looking at yeah. that final output. And what I tell folks is you're not here to create a great piece of art. You're here to learn. And you aren't here to learn how to create a great piece of art. You learn, you're here to learn about improving your creative process. And the way it ultimately will manifest itself is two months down the road, three months down the road, you'll probably be a better artist after being here. But That's really interesting. Yeah, I don't give a crap if your picture you produce for Friday is a piece of garbage. Right. You know what? That that's actually. I'm really happy to hear you say that. I didn't. I didn't quite think about that, but um, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. But that's hard. That's a it's because hard. people. You know, it, we're living in this world where it's immediate satisfaction, immediate gratification, and so people are like, "Hey, I'm going to go there. I'm going to learn, and by Friday, I'm going to kick ass." I remember feeling the pressure of that mm-hmm. slideshow on Friday. Yeah. I remember feeling the pressure. I I used a song called Trigger Hippie, or no, I didn't use it. Jen Spellman, who I think mm-hmm. was my course assistant, Jen chose it. And I remember thinking, oh, my God, this is the perfect combination. And I was, like, in the back of the crowd, wrapped up. I couldn't sit down because I was like, oh, my God, my work uh, – we're all being judged right. here. <laughs> but I think, you're, I think you're right. I mean, I think that that's a really wonderful way of looking at it is, right. like, look, and, and you're not here to – how do you well, make a masterpiece? how can you make a masterpiece in five days? Yeah. Right? It's not going to happen. You aren't going to become a great photographer in five days. Just telling you now. If you, yeah. if you think you're going to do it, this isn't the school for you. Yeah. Right? But we will help you on the process to get there eventually. But I like that. I like the concept that it's the workshop is like a residue that remains on you after, you know, weeks, months, years after. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just admitted that earlier that I still think about what Rob told me, mm-hmm. whatever that was, 30 years ago or 25 years ago. Um, that's pretty great. So you guys also, when it comes to the workshops, you have uh, Santa Fe here is the primary, mm-hmm. uh, the mothership, that's if you will. Where else are you guys teaching now? So we do programs in Cuba. Okay. We do programs in San Miguel. We've done programs and we're continuing to do programs in India, Nepal, and Japan. Huh. Those are all things which I know are on the upcoming schedule. And we're constantly evaluating, you know, where else in the world we should go. Espanola. Espanola, yeah, so Albuquerque. Right I mean, uh, you could really branch out. Right, go to yeah, go to Albuquerque. There you go. And Cuba has been. Cuba was, um, and that's a pretty serious part of the part of the program. Mm-hmm. And there's been, you know, there's Cuba's always in the news. But right. recently, there was some, you know, issues with people saying, oh, that uh, I guess the Trump administration decided to like limit limit access. But but Santa Fe's grandfathered in, correct? We're grandfathered in, but there's also I can't remember the proper classification off the top of my head. There is a classification where. If you aren't um, going and doing workshops through like um, major hotels, if you're working directly with the Cuban people, yeah, um, you, you're still okay to go. Okay. And our programs have, have never really gone through sort of traditional channels. That's one of the reasons this is so successful. Okay, is that we have people that say, yeah, you can stay at this person's house, or you can, you know, get really, really immersed in the culture, and that's why our workshops are so good down there. And those workshops are still grandfathered in, and still okay to do. Uh, have you been to Cuba yet? I haven't yet. Oh, I've been here, I've been here six months. You're the vice. You're <laughs> the I'm, vice I'm president. Here, I've been here six months. I'm. I'm still trying to get to Albuquerque. You should take the corporate jet yeah, and just exactly. fly down. Yeah, because we have two of those. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> two Gulf streams yeah. in the parking lot, uh, and then San Miguel also been around for a long time. Yeah, San Miguel has also been around a long time, and it's. Um, you know, I, I haven't been to San Miguel yet, so that's like on my list to yeah. to go. But it's you know, it's 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 kind of an expat art community. Sure. 
and it's got such a rich culture and and people love going down there and shooting so full disclosure i tried to teach in cuba and my workshop did not fill i'm death to the workshop process so um i can barely do these interviews so you know i, I have taught here in the past um uh, back do when you i was a, do you need a tissue yeah I, I need a tissue i need someone to hold my hand I, my class did not fill i was bummed I, yeah. I did get a couple of students but i've definitely um I definitely wanted to go. My father's ranch partner when I was young, my father was in cattle business. Uh, his ranch partner was a Cuban refugee okay. who's still in the ranching industry. And he was super influential on me as a kid. And his mother came to Wyoming when I was, I think, in like third grade. And it was the first time in my life I'd had black beans and rice. Mm -hmm. First time I ever had Cuban food, which was so unlike anything our family had ever delved into. And it's uh, that memory sort of locked in my in my mind. So hopefully I'll get there at one point right. and, and Mexico and Japan. And, and I didn't know about India and Nepal. Those were that's new to me. I, now, I Nepal knew about Japan. New. Um, Jennifer Spellman's been to India a number of times. OK. Um, yeah, Jennifer goes everywhere. Yeah, she's yeah. great. Yeah. Yeah. She's um, she uh, is a great instructor. Yep. Yeah. So moving forward with the workshops, what's um, w what are the challenges for you moving forward? Well, you know, there's, there's a number of challenges. Um, as as I've been talking to a lot of folks, I mean, the workshops have been here 30 years, right? That's impressive. That's impressive. Um, but one of the challenges is, you know, how do you stay relevant after you've been here for 30 years? So, you know, working with Reed and a number of folks, we're pushing to rebrand the organization um, in 2020 and really starting to focus more on the experiential aspects of what happens down here. Because right now we really talk mostly, and if you go to our course catalog, you see picture of instructor, course description, and kind of that's it. Yep. And the real magic is the community mm -hmm. that happens down here, the experience. And I, I don't want to have us as just like an experiential driven company, but what I find magical about Santa Fe is that we're experience overlapped with really, really aggressive, challenging education. So it's like a set theory. You put those two things together and when they overlap, that's where things get really meaningful. And the analogy I always use, or the comparison I always make is, you know, you can go to REI and take a travel trip. That's great. You know, you can go have someone haul your butt up to Machu Picchu or yep. you know, Kilimanjaro and you come back with some pictures and it's cool. But you come to Santa Fe, you have a somewhat similar experience but then you also have someone like Jennifer Spellman, yeah. you know, telling you that, yeah, your picture's okay. Now where are you going? Your picture's okay. Now where are you going? So it's hard. But at the end of the week, the impact and the meaning you get is amplified. Mm -hmm. And, you know, think about, you know, what are, what's lacking in our culture right now? Experience. People are willing to pay for it. Yep. Because it's not so much they're willing to pay for it. It's just that there's a need for it. You know, I came from working in Seattle in the tech area. And people make a lot of money, yep. but they have no time. And so there's this people that should be really, really happy kind of aren't because all they do is they go into Microsoft, they make a lot of money, and yeah. they work their butts off. Yep. And then th there's, this, there's this void. And we're providing, we're providing solace. We're providing solace for that void. And I think it's important. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that that I, all of us are looking for direction and purpose. And for those, for me, it was as a kid, it was recording data. That's all mm -hmm. I cared about. And it started with a pen and paper. And then when my parents got me this Vivitar point and shoot when I was a kid, I was like, oh, it had nothing to do with photography. It was just this need to did you, fill. Did you have that really big flash? That really powerful no, no, one? No, it huge was. One? Uh uh. <laughs> no, I know what you're talking about. No, this was like the super high tech next version, okay. which was small and had a little built in pop up flash. Okay. But I was little. And the I was right at adult sort of butt level. Mm -hmm. And so I did this whole essay on the, on basically that. But the camera to me was just was basically just filling that need to record. That was all. But I think you're right about the the travel trips and the photography. And photography is such a great way of encapsulating not just memory, mm -hmm. because I did a project a couple of years ago um, with a really famous photographer who did this great great project. And in very much the project was about memory. And I was able to learn a lot about the human brain and about how the, the brain's job is not to record minute detail. Mm -hmm. it's, to, it's to basically record a tapestry, puts things together. And the camera was was uh, is a way to sort of fill those gaps in. And the, it is, I find it so much more meaningful to go into a trip like that or mm -hmm. into an experience or just daily life with having this sort of way of, of recording and, and capturing. So last summer, sitting on the beach and a friend says, um, hey, do you, I'm, te I'm teaching in Albania. Do you want to take a workshop? And I was like, yeah, sure, no problem. And, you know, I've been doing this a long time. Mm -hmm. It wasn't that I, def I needed to take a workshop, but immediately it just i just i didn't even realize it until i was in albania of what i'd gotten myself into right. in a good way and i thought oh and i just felt, i literally turned my phone off i put it in my suitcase and i didn't look at it for two weeks and i tell that to people and they're oh i could never do that and i'm like yeah you can, yeah, you can. because once you get there and you're engaging with these other people who are yeah. as equally passionate about what you're doing as you are everything fades away yeah, and I, someone confronted me a while ago about my concept of travel photography. They said, you know, Steph, when I, when I could travel, I don't take a camera because I just don't want to be like a, a voyeur, right? And I was like, yeah, I, I get that. But if you're really, really taking good photo, if you're taking pictures, you're a voyeur. If you're taking photographs, you're engaging. Yeah. And, and the truly great photographers that make photographs when they're traveling there's like this little love affair that happens with your subject within like 20 seconds. Yep. And it's that human connection. So if you are traveling and doing it that way, you're getting so much more engaged with the culture and it's so much more meaningful. Yeah, I've never understood that concept of the, you know, oh, the, the camera sort of blocking you from mm -hmm. the experience. I think it's the ac absolute me, it polar opposite. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you have, and if you're a people-based photographer, I mean, if you shoot landscapes, maybe that's one thing, right. or you shoot architectural work or something. But anytime there's a human involved, yeah. especially a human in a different culture, a different country, a different language, and you two walk and meet on the street, there's a, an all, a very intimate sort of transaction that yeah. happens. And that, to me, is the beauty of what the whole thing is about. And again, I think that's what coming to a workshop, a lot of times, and I remember teaching here, um, and I thought when I got here and I would teach about a certain thing. And I realized very quickly that what I needed to teach the students was more about how to navigate mm -hmm. and how to talk to people you didn't know. And I'm not a fan of that either, of like, you know, sniping mm -hmm. from across the street. You, you want to go and engage. And that's the fun part of being a photographer. Yeah, Norman Maskoff has this, there's two lines I love. He says, if you want to be a photographer, you have to get comfortable with saying, hello, my name is Stafford Squire, and I'd like to take your picture. <laughs> that's terrifying. Yeah, it and, is. And the other quote he always has is like, Stafford, you need to make friends with anxiety, right? Make anxiety <laughs> your friend. Because when you're in that, it's just this heightened sense of 
being there. Yeah. Because you're a little bit nervous and it just amplifies the experience. Uh, he's one of my all-time favorite people. He's an, he's an informal uh, mentor to me. I absolutely love him. The third one that I would add to that is you have to get familiar with hearing no. Right. And then the twist on that is that a, a modern photographic no does not necessarily mean no because the view of photography in general has changed. So when I went into the field as a young photographer and I had a press credential, I could go anywhere. Mm -hmm. I could do anything. People just went out of their way to help me, and we don't live in that world anymore. Right. So now, most often, and here, it happens to me in New Mexico all the time, what are you doing here? You can't be here. Right. You're not supposed to be here. It's illegal to make pictures. Right. Um, I'm going to arrest you, you know, 20 miles inside the U.S. It's illegal for you to be here. You have to leave. And you're like, wow. But then you realize that their interpretation of what photography is completely different. And so you're like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, no problem. But, but why? And you work backwards and all of a sudden that no is not a no anymore. It's like, oh, I had no idea what right. you were doing. So, oh, you're looking for that? I know so-and-so and I can help you. And it's, mm -hmm. and it's wild. And I think that's where the well-rounded aspect of being a photographer comes in, where you're more educated about things outside of just like technical aspects on how to take a picture. Mm -hmm. But in history and art, culture, politics, anthropology, I had a minor in anthropology and I think that was as important as my degree in, in, uh, in photography. Yeah. And so let me ask this. The demographics of people that come, who's the, who, is there such thing as a standard student that comes to Santa Fe? Yeah, there, there is. And um, it's, one, it's one of our challenges. You know? So we, we definitely lean towards you know, older, older people, okay. um, you know, people that have had you know, good life, good careers. Yep. And a lot of those folks are, are coming down here for, for you know, an experience. Sure. So, and those that, you know, that was probably 55 to 70 is kind of like the, the main part of our curve. And then there's also, but there's an interesting bump that happens to the left of the curve. It's like the 25 to 35. Mm -hmm. And so what's happening is that there's, there are people here in that range um, that are coming here for professional development. So they're the ones that are coming to learn from like a, a Kurt Iswarienko or a Jeff Lipsky or people like that. Yep. You know, the, the really hot, um, you know, uh, environmental portrait folks and studio sure. folks. And then the folks on the ol older side are more leaning towards traditional like landscape, you know, th those sorts of things. But our challenge is, as a company is to lean towards the younger side of the curve. Sure. Right. And that, that's a challenge because younger people don't have as much money. And yep. what we do is expensive. Yep. Um, the other challenge that's, that's really important to me is increasing the diversity of voices that are involved in the photographic dialogue, photographic conversation. Yep. Because, you know, photography, I mean, I'm not, this isn't news to anybody. Photography is a very, very, very white, yeah. upper middle class yep. uh, you know, activity. And that's a problem. All right. And so one of the things I'm doing is I'm trying to work with a nonprofit here to create a scholarship fund that we can grow to bring in a diversity of voices. And it's not just minorities. It's a diversity of voices across the board. Yeah. Um, because, you know, from a business perspective, it's good because the richness of the experience here is amplified when you have somebody sitting next to you in class that's completely different than you. But also, I think photography is important. And I think that um, increasing that dialogue, increasing the diversity of voices, particularly in the area of photography that's making photographs and not pictures. Yeah. Um, I talk a lot about, um, let me back up for a sec. 
a lot of folks talk about, you know, how photography is becoming irrelevant because of social media mm -hmm. and things like that. You know, 95 million pictures are posted to Instagram on a daily basis. Wow. And hey, don't quote me on that. It's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> it's a yeah. lot. It's more than a few. And I had this great conversation with an old buddy of mine named Patrick Donahue. He used to be the vice president of content at Corbis, and I think it was at Tony Stone for a long time. Okay. And we were, like, looking at our Instagram feeds. And you know what's happening? It's like the visual vocabulary is really being dumbed down, right? And they're like, this is, we got, got kind of sad about it. And they're <laughs> like, this is a huge opportunity because if you're a great photographer, your opportunity to stand out amongst all that mediocrity is huge. Yeah. And then we started talking about uh, the analogies between stock photography and the stock market, right? <laughs> and we both rode that roller coaster, right? Where a stock was exploding. Mm -hmm. And we were like, there are a lot of people, and then I'm gonna piss somebody off by saying this, but there were a lot of people making money that had no business making money. Yeah. So there was this huge bubble. But now things are contracting, right? So it's going back to the old days where you, to make money in photography, you actually have to be a really, really, really good photographer. Yeah. I think that's kind of cool. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, the, the Instagram thing, uh, driving over here today, I was thinking about this, is that, you know, I'm 50, I came from, let's say I'm two or three generations away from the generation that's working right now. I ran into a kid a couple, about a year ago, young photographer, really good, just came out with his first book. His project was unbelievable. The work was great. He's smart. He's personable. And I thought about him, and I think about him a lot. And he's not representative of my generation. And mm. there's two ways I can look at that. I could look at him and I can complain about all the things that don't compare to my generation. But he sees the world in a really different way. So as a 50-year-old guy, I would love to take a workshop from him. Mm -hmm. Now, I might have to, I, there, were, there would be times that I might feel like I got to bite my tongue, right? Because I'm thinking, oh, but that's the point of, right. I kind of equate it to our society in general, where we seem to be so entrenched in our ideology, regardless of the, the truth or facts or whatever. Everybody's dug in on whatever side they're on. And I think photography would benefit from those walls coming down. Mm -hmm. And you look at that bump that you're talking about from the 25 to 35, and I look at those people as kind of fascinating characters because they're so – we just see things differently. We have different educations. They, they, came, they grew up with a phone in their hand. Right. I grew up with a, you know, in a first-gen Atari was the closest. 40 bags of – 40 pounds of equipment. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> around. It's just a different thing, and I think yeah. that's – when I look at the future of the workshops, to me, it, it, the exciting part is it just feels wide open that there's so – because photography right. is being redefined on a daily well, basis. And, that, and that's why, you know, why I really focus – when I ever – when talks about what we do, I don't really say we teach photography. I, we are a creative company, you know, so we, we teach creativity, and we actually branching out into doing writing workshops also, and – that's the core of our value. The vector through which we deliver creativity is writing and photography, but what it's really about is storytelling um, and, and creating an environment where ideas can flourish. And that's, that's the DNA that's important here. And the techniques evolve over time, but the thing that's constant is how do you tell creative stories, either at one thousandth of a second or within like, I don't know, a thousand words. Well, that's fantastic. I think that is a great place to uh, wind down this chapter one of the interview series. Series. I use the word. I just use the word series. But uh, anyway, I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time You're very to welcome. do this. You're a very easy person to uh, to interview, and uh, I appreciate you taking the time. We're almost at forty minutes, so 
Wow. And believe it or not, there are people out there that will listen to this whole thing. <laughs> You're not going to edit some of it out? <laughs> no way. Not even. So thank you so much again for doing this. I really appreciate it. And I wish you the best. And I'm, I'll be following, uh, following along. Good. Awesome. It's Thanks. Be a good, good trip. Thanks, Stafford.